You know, I never heard Ella Armstrong before. I took her on faith, and I'd like for faith to bring in some more like that. <laughs> that was a real blessing. Thank you very much, Ella. You know, today is our last Sunday for meeting, and uh, I have a, a, a word that I would like to say. Five or six years ago, I can't remember which, maybe it was six, I went over to Mrs. Ross's cottage one night to meet some new people who had moved into our community, Grace and Don Mitchell, with their two children. Donald had come here to do some work in the historical foundation in pursuance of his Ph.D. from Princeton. Grace came to be a teacher in Montreat Anderson College. The first night I went into that little cottage and met with them, as I suggested a prayer before I left, Donald Mitchell suggested that we read from a little book called Scripture Union. And we did. And we prayed together. And you know I felt the Holy Spirit witnessing to my spirit that this was a man in whom God really dwelt. The years that have gone by have proven that that first impression could not have been more correct. Grace and Don have been a great blessing to our community. Just about two weeks ago it was announced that Dean Mitchell had been elected vice president in charge of academic affairs at Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, and had accepted that call and will be leaving the middle of July with his family to go there, since there is no other appropriate occasion to recognize their leaving for the Montreat Church. I wanted as pastor of this church to say my words of appreciation to this remarkable Christian family. I know of no man that I hold in higher esteem than Donald Mitchell. He can preach circles around me and think circles around me, but he has always been supportive of me, always been a blessing to me personally. And I'm going to miss him, and I'm going to miss Grace, and I'm going to miss Marion and Allison, and I know that you will too. But I know that as they go to this a larger dimension of responsibility that you will follow them with your prayerful interest, that God will bless them in their new efforts for him there. And now in these few minutes that we have, I want to read ten verses, and the young people, by the way, voted on this, so I'll, I'll make it brief. <laughs> ten verses from the third chapter of the book of Acts. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. 
And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened unto them. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's porch, greatly wondering, and Peter saw it, and he answered unto the people. Now here is a word from God regarding the early church and the power which came to that early Christian community. Today we have seen some little believers who have professed a faith in Jesus Christ. Now is church for you a Mickey Mouse proposition? where you simply have put your name on a roll like a Lions Club or a Rotary Club or a Kiwanis Club? Or is it a relationship to the living Christ? Are you a part of that body of Christ in which there is power? Next Sunday, the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church will meet in Fort Worth, Texas. One of our own ruling elders, Dr. L. Nelson Bell, on Pentecost Sunday, will stand and preach to that vast concourse of commissioners from all over the Southland. His words will go out all over the world. We need to pray for him. He is head in title, but Christ is the chief shepherd. Christ is the king and the head of the church. And what happened on this day of Pentecost? And what happened subsequent to the day of Pentecost when this lame man was healed came about as the result of the Holy Spirit empowering people to witness in the name and in the reality of Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, last Sunday we had a great many people here who were unashamed of the ministry and unembarrassed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. These people inspire me, not that I agree always with everything that is said, but they inspire me because they're not ashamed of Jesus, nor ashamed to witness to him. They have a sort of holy boldness and a warmth of love. I met last Sunday afternoon with Bob Mumford. For an hour and a half, he tried to convince me that I ought to speak in tongues. <laughs> I got enough trouble with this one, but I, <laughs> but I, I have a lot of respect for him. And you know, I felt very close to him. I felt that he loved me. And I felt that he wanted for me something from the Lord. We had a common allegiance to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. His supernatural birth. His working of miracles. His death on the cross for salvation. His mighty resurrection from the dead. No milk and water Christianity. No watered-down version of it, but transcendence, the supernatural, God Almighty speaking through his Son, the Lord Jesus, so we could feel at home with each other. We could love each other and differ in grace. I have no difficulty with people who have that type of supernatural faith. So we felt at home. Now here is what you see in the book of Acts. And when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter that day at Pentecost, and he preached that magnificent sermon that is recorded there, and last Sunday, you remember, right when I got to the end of the lesson, 
I told how those people, that vast concourse of people who had gathered around Solomon's porch and heard Peter, an ignorant, unlearned man. Can you imagine that? This ignorant and unlearned man preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he did, there were tremendous results. They said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent, have a new mind, a new heart, and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Holy Spirit, as these children recited today, enables me to embrace Jesus Christ and comes into my heart when I do, and that he is there now. And Peter preached that day, and you know the results of that sermon? 3,000, 3,000 people that day were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They were set aglow with the power of the Lord upon them and great love and majesty and power. And they began to have an unusual thing happen. The end of that chapter tells uh, how that they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread, that is having the Lord's Supper, and from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Do you see how God works through a church like that? Yielded to his lordship, his conscious lordship. Now then, the beautiful gate incident is a tremendous account. For here we see a beautiful gate. The beautiful gate that first of all any Christian must in enter is the gate of redemption. The gate of the forgiveness of sins. Dwight Lyman Moody, who was himself an uneducated man, but a man who took seriously what God claimed to have done in the Bible and who preached it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mr. Moody used to preach a sermon on Pentecost, in which in his mind's eye he imagined that great crowd of people to whom Peter was preaching. And suddenly there came running up to Peter a man who tugged him by the robe and said to Peter, Peter, I am the man who stuck that spear into the body of Jesus and the blood and the water came from him. Could he ever forgive me? And Peter said, yes. He'll forgive you and instead of a spear, he'll put in your hand a, a scepter of righteousness and you'll be right with God and right with man. And another a Jew who worked in Herod's court came and he said, oh, Peter, I am the man who took that crown of thorns and I pushed them on his brow and the blood came down his face. Peter, would he ever forgive me? And Peter said, yes, he'll forgive you. I denied him three times and he forgave me. Instead of a crown of thorns, he'll give you a crown of righteousness, a right relationship with God and a right relationship with man. Another came and said, oh, Peter, Peter, I am the one who smote him in the face and spat upon him. Will he ever forgive me? And Peter said, yes. Yes, he'll forgive you. And he'll put about you a robe of righteousness, a right relationship with God, and a right relationship with man. The beautiful gate of forgiveness. Psychiatrists tell us that people destroy themselves because of guilt. They feel burdened and laden with guilt that they have not been able to cope with their circumstances, that they have not been able to accomplish what they hope to accomplish, that they feel a great sense of failure, 
and lack of achievement and little well-being. And what we are offered here is a righteousness in Jesus Christ which comes to us by faith alone, by simply receiving him into our heart, the beautiful gate, the gate of forgiveness, the gate of redemption. The second beautiful gate quickly is the gate of fellowship. They had fellowship one with another. They had fellowship with each other. Uh, in teaching these communicants, it's been interesting to watch how they answer questions. And if you ask questions, for some reason, little girls answer first. <laughs> now, I don't know whether that's a womanly trait or what. But, but in, anyway, I remember one Sunday school teacher who was, who was teaching. And so one day he asked this little class of, uh, of, of communicants, he said, Now, what is fellowship? And one little girl stuck up her hand and she said, I know what it is. And he said, what? And she said, two fellows in a ship. <laughs> that that's fellowship. Well, <laughs> well, there's a lot of truth in that. We have fellowship because the church of Jesus Christ, not the denomination, but those who are born again of the Spirit of God, those who are forgiven through the blood of Christ, they're all in the boat. They're two fellows in a ship. They go together. If the boat goes down on a wave, they go down. If it comes up, they crest up. They're in it together. They suffer with each other. They feel with each other. They share with each other. They give and take together. This is fellowship. And the beautiful gate of fellowship is there for the true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important for us to remember that beautiful gate of fellowship, how we've experienced it here in many instances in Montreal, and how blessed it is. And now then, we have the beautiful gate of prayer that they entered into. This is worship. You see, we have fellowship. We worship here together. I've told these communicants that, that the, the New English Bible translates that verse from Peter as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. You know what that says? Like a little newborn baby cries for milk. Go ask John Akers about the new baby they've got or Bobby Lefty. They'll tell you they've got to get up in the night and feed him. They've got to get up in the night and feed her. They're crying. Something's crying out here. <laughs> Maybe for milk. <laughs> uh, uh, the milk of the word of God. And this, the, there is a crying out for it, and that's what the preaching should be. That's what Timmy was explaining to us a while ago. The word of God ought to be what we yearn for, and we ought to take our compass bearings from the word of God, not from the books of theology. We'd be better off if they never had been written. We need the scriptures, and we need to be strengthened by the milk and by the meat of God's word, and this is important to us. This has to do with our worship Together, our worship, the beautiful gate of redemption, uh, the beautiful gate of worship and prayer that we have is important to us. This, you know, and it brings power to the church too. You know, this is tremendous to me. This man was brought and set by the church for the simple reason that he thought this would be a good place. This would be where people who would be concerned about him and his needs. So he came to this beautiful gate of the temple and he sat there and he begged alms. 
And as he was begging for alms, for money to be given to him, Peter and John walked by, and he begged of the moms, give me something. He had been born crippled, all of his life crippled. He'd even given up on ever being healed. Maybe Jesus had seen him right there at that very gate because Jesus had often been there. But now at this particular time, he begs for an alm. He looked up in their faces and said, give me an alm. Peter looked back and said, silver and gold have I none. And the man must have looked down. Thought, I don't get anything from him. But he had something better than silver and gold. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the hand. The church is rich and affluent in many places. But do we have the power to say to people struggling, crippled by sin, crippled by guilt, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I have no silver and gold enough to give you, but here I have something else. I give you Jesus himself. Stand up in his power and walk. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke, who is a doctor, tells us that immediately his ankle bones were strengthened and his legs were straightened and he stood up and he leaped and he praised God. Sandy Gartrell told me this morning that on the day Richard was married, Richard Gartrell, their son, that she was crying and people thought she was crying because it was those motherly tears that are shed when your son or your daughter is married. But she said, the reason that I had tears rolling down my cheek was that Virginia, who had been crippled for five years, who had been in a wheelchair and borne about on a stretcher, and who had walked on crutches for five years, walked down the aisle in the church. Virginia told me, she said, this passage in the scripture means more to me than it does to most people. To leap and to praise God, just to be able to walk. We need to be able to do this spiritually, and we can do it when we yield ourselves to the conscious lordship of Christ. Our time is gone, but if you've never done that, I hope that someday, somehow, maybe today, that the Lord will cause you to go back to basic, real Christianity. I don't have time to read this letter. This letter came to me this week from one of the brainiest women I ever knew in my whole life. A woman who is on the board of regents of the University of Texas. I sent her Malcolm Muggeridge's book, Jesus Rediscovered. And she wrote me, Dear Calvin, Wow! What a book you sent me. Isn't it wonderful what an alive Christ can do for a man like Muggeridge? You see, this woman's heart has been touched. She goes on to say that the thing that will live with her, I think the idea of Muggeridge's that will last the longest with me is the certainty that that third man that walked on the road to Emmaus still walks with us. And it's a daily consolation. You see what a live faith and a risen Lord did at Pentecost and in the early church? This is the church's greatest need now. I would like for us to stand for the benediction.
Oh God our Father, your love is broader than the measure of man's mind. Your grace is greater than all our sins. Your power to take us when we've failed so many times and forgive us and make us what we ought to be is so real. Oh, help us to know that we can reach out and touch the risen living Christ today. And for those here who have never touched him, help them this day to say, Jesus, come in and be real in my life. Let me live it out under your lordship. Will you lead them to that moment? Take the weak, inadequate, faltering words of this preacher and sift away the trash and help what is true and in consonant with your word to remain in every mind and heart and bring a blessing. Lord Jesus, watch over these little ones who today have made their faith publicly in Jesus. May the inspiration of what they have done speak to those of us of riper years that we may be more faithful to vows which we have made and have allowed to grow routine and careless about. Refresh our faith. Send the wind of the Spirit to revive us and refresh us again. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with you all, now and forever. Amen.